0: into the unknown and taking courageous action, as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Mihails is a scientist turned entrepreneur and the co-founder and CEO at SINOS, which is simplifying simulation-based design for every engineer. He aims to enable mass adoption of engineering simulation software to be used by design engineers. In the interview, Mihails shares his journey from a scientist to becoming an entrepreneur and how he has learned to be a visionary and take decisions from the future rather than from the history of the past or from the pro and con analysis of the present moment. Hi, Mihails. Welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast.
1: Hi. Nice to be here. Thank you.
0: It's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Can you begin by sharing a little bit of who you are and what do you do?
1: Sure. My name is Michael Michael Chuponskis. I am scientist turned entrepreneur. Actually, I spent about 10 years of my life building a scientific career, which ended up in Argo National Awards, in the United States. And then I quit and found my own startup company. It was six and a half years ago. And over the six and a half years, there was a journey from scientist to entrepreneurship. Today, my company is seen as its engineering simulation software. So we help engineers to replace physical prototyping and lab testing with computer modeling for industry. Today we have more than 20 people in two offices in our headquarters in Riga, Latvia, and in Mexico. We have customers uh, in all continents, except Antarctica. And actually, we are approaching revenue about 1 million now.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Can you take us a bit more like, deeper into that journey from a scientist to an entrepreneur? So first of all, how did that came around? Why? The question why also is an important one. And then how has it been going? Because I would see these two as like, very separate or very different from each other.
1: I reflected about that quite a lot. And actually, it is not so separate as it seems from the beginning. I remember actually one occasion or one event. I completed my scientific project. I tried to negotiate the paper together with my U.S. co-authors. And it was really negotiation because they, they tried to negotiate every sentence, every word. I put in the paper... Didn't know why. I figure out that actually the biggest asset the scientist has is reputation, and of course, like scientists don't want to risk of his or her reputation just putting something there is that which doesn't have any solid evidence or proof. And what does everything about about actually that was the pleasure because I tried to say something more visionary to express my thoughts, which goes beyond what I have proof for. And I figure out that maybe I'm not a scientist, but I'm an entrepreneur. But that's a difference. That's really different. So the entrepreneur is just thinking more visionary and try to say a bit more than he or she can prove. And actually, this is what we are selling, right? So in the startup world, we're selling the future, not today. We're selling the future and our vision for that future. Uh, Scientist is more on the ground, but there is also a lot of common thing. And this is perhaps the only thing that differs, but actually the common thing is the way how scientists work. So when entrepreneurs do experiments, So you know, you, you have hypothesis, you try, mm-hmm. it doesn't work, you go back. Scientists do absolutely the same. This is the reason why I still believe that engineer scientists are the best entrepreneur if they have this uh, entrepreneurship in their soul. Besides that, Scientists work on projects, meaning they were funded with projects. Like they have the time limit to their project, but again, the difference and the same entrepreneurs, right? As a startup person, we have a time frame typically 18 to 24 months where we have the funding period. And then we either achieve our milestones to raise the second, the next round or, or die. But the science is more or less the same, but the KPIs are a bit different, like papers and reputation. So I've emphasized that Mm -hmm. reputation again. So reputation was different. Yeah, but a lot of common things, really.
0: And what happened that you decided to actually start your own company?
1: Yeah, well, my co-founders and I decided to build a company. The reason for that was actually, well, we look on our Ah, so now we experience, so over the 10 years in academic career, I was doing quite a lot of consultants, mm-hmm. consult engineering consultancy. So I was doing simulations using simulation software and consulting bigger and smaller companies on the like engineering decision they need to make. But the essence was that I figured out actually the majority of my customers didn't really need me. They need the proper software they can use it themselves so that we when we figure out that we decided to build that software and at that moment we also have had idea or yeah technical idea how to technical innovation in mind how to make it
0: yeah thank you for adding that and now coming back to the present moment right can you share how the journey has been what are one or two of the like difficult choices that you had to make because now it's not just about the software; it's also about building a team, leading a team, selling, like talking, speaking. So, how has that journey been for you?
1: Well, <laughs> that's a good question. Of course, the uh, journey is a journey, and there are ups and downs there. I just tried to figure out what which which events actually to mention here. There are the couple which pop up in my mind. Okay, I probably will leave all like minor things and typical things about entrepreneurship that you run out of the money. And it's a very typical thing. So that probably you have heard about that quite a lot of times. But I really like that once, once I refused an investor with a big check and that was more emotional. Okay, not really emotional, but I have had some feeling that It's like not a good fit. And that might be the problems later on, but the offer was good. So I did this decision. The reason for that, it was like we were negotiating the deal. The deal seems good, but still we were very long in negotiation. It just took quite too long time. And then one moment I just understood if the negotiation just takes, it's so painful and it just goes so slowly with the locus back and forth, maybe that's not the right fit. And then I just took a moment to think about that. I realized that it's not go. And later, I, so just a few weeks later, I raised a smaller amount, smaller round, but with other investors, which are now to be a good decision. I really believe. And the same logic, uh, yeah, it, I actually used the same logic with a couple of key employees. You know, then you find yourself in the long negotiations with with somebody you even don't know yet. I mean, didn't work yet, but you try to negotiate different what if and then and so on. That means there is no mutual trust in very beginning and what we are speaking about. So that's, yeah, that, that's really some, I think something interesting at the same time so important to listen to yourself and i remember now actually one of one of my teachers which i respect the most in school it was math teacher he sent once actually there was a question from audience from the class how to evaluate the, the importance of of, of the math work like you know if you do engineering it's obvious so if you do something good that it will fly or it will change your people life and so on but math it's not so obvious like mathematic is something abstract so you cannot measure and then that this teacher just said us this is only one measure it should be easy and beautiful so if the outcome of your work is like Mm it's simple and beautiful that means that it will find some application later on. He also gave a couple of examples. There is a theory from Bachevsky, Russian Russian scientist in the 18th century, mathematically actually he questioned one of the axioms of the Euclid geometry, that two parallels cannot cross, two parallel lines cannot cross. And he just questioned that and built entire beautiful mathematics with uh, apparatus, but different. And later on, then people flew to the orbit and all actually all space stuff, like satellites and so on, they are flying like two, sorry, it's that the two lines can cross only in one, one point. That was the axial yeah. And actually on the orbit, like two lights can cross in two points because like there, there's an orbit. But yeah. actually all mathematics, all apparatus was already there because somebody just built that for with no purpose just because it was beautiful and mm-hmm. simple. Sorry for this lyric, but yeah. that's, that's kind of very beautiful. Thanks.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. But again, as you gave that example, like of listening to, to your instinct or listening to something very emotional, how do you draw that balance now in your decision-making when you are running experiments, when you have data? So how, where do you, how have you learned to trust data or trust your instinct in making decisions?
1: Well, maybe I was a bit wrong saying it, it just you need to mm-hmm. listen to your instinct. It's not just simple instinct. It's like the things should be simple. Mm-hmm. If things are overcomplicated, that's something wrong with them. Of course, it's nothing against data. So, data is Mm -hmm. data, and you need to look at data, analyze, and make decisions. But there are two things. The first of all, there is, I don't remember any time that there was enough data to make a solid decision. Mm -hmm. I think there's always not enough data, but you still need to make a decision. And actually, the amount of data necessary to make a decision depend, but in fact, there is no such limit. The decision can be made at any amount of data. You just make it and you hold on it. And so, yeah, that's why data is good, but it's better to make decisions rather than to wait for the more data.
0: That's a wonderful, wonderful statement of an entrepreneur, actually. (laughs) So, I, I think
1: yes. I think it's about entrepreneurship. It's not only about entrepreneurship. Yeah. Actually, it's about it's about management. They, well, I'm not very much experienced in like managing the huge teams. I know I have never been a top manager, but I believe that actually the top manager, so the higher his manager, the more uncertainty he or she has. Yeah, and that means that he or she can make decisions with with less data. It might be wrong decision might Mm -hmm. be wrong absolutely yeah but but it's better to make it rather than not make anything
0: yeah absolutely so now coming to the vision part of being an entrepreneur can you share what is your vision where do you want to be or where do you see yourself in a few years well i think that every entrepreneur
1: started business with some vision and for startups it's in many cases, not just the monetary incentives. Same for myself. I spent 10 years of my life in science. I learned how ugly is, is the market, meaning that it's not fair. I mean, there was simulation software tools built for enterprise customers, and the rest of the engineers working in smaller companies outside RD centers, they just left with the tools like in 19th century to, mm. to, to do their job. So it's like unfair. And of course, it's like my dream and my vision. I really want to fix that. And this is how I measure all um, my decisions, like major decisions, whether it brings me closer to that goal mm. or not. So like, let's hypothetically imagine the situation that... I have an offer to uh, to sell the company. The real measure will be whether this purchase will make the journey easier towards the goal or not. So that's the primary thing. Yeah, so something like that.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think keeping that in front of you always, right? Keeping your vision in front of you and evaluating your decisions by that long-term vision rather than the short-term outcome or benefits. Thank you for adding that, right? And as you try to make that vision a reality, what do you see are some of the biggest challenges that you face, either externally in the market or internally for yourself and your organization?
1: From one side, all decisions becomes very easy to make when you when you just look whether it just brings you closer to the goal or not. But mm-hmm. at the same time, that's that's like it seems so, but in fact it's it mean okay, so let me say yes, I refuse the investment offer that mean because it just go in other direction, fine. But that means that I need to in the short term, I need to fix that something. I need to find another way. Yeah. So and every like refusal of this like a negative decision in this scale means that you need to find an alternative. And that might be not so easy. Being entrepreneur is everything about fundraising, management of people and money. Mm-hmm. That there is like no simple answer for that, that, but it's a lot of a lot of day-to-day work on that.
0: Yeah. And do you find that as a challenge for yourself? Of course. And
1: then, I mean, that, that's always a challenge, but that's the beauty of the work. So, when you overcome the challenge or the deal with it, if there will be no challenge, that will be too boring. <laughs> really. mm-hmm. No, I like challenges.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. I can, I can see that uh, on your face right now as you're talking about it. Can you share about some of the opportunities that you see that, that lie ahead for you that you must capture or capitalize on?
1: It's a very tricky time now. It's not a secret. Everybody now, like venture capital market is significantly down and and that's the challenge. No, I understand what, what happened actually. There was like decade of very low interest rate and that's why the market was flooded by money and then... Quickly, it gone just because of the interest rate went up, and I think yes. it will maybe eat that they will even go further up. But anyway, so my company raised funding last funding one and a half years ago, and uh, we were supposed to raise now the, the next funding. But two things for different reasons, but actually, I want metrics were not like so flying like we were expecting and at the same time the market is very difficult relations went down so then i realized that autumn 2022 i decided to start cutting uh, costs and try to make our business more capital efficient so today we are we are profitable and we have absolutely different position than you don't need money uh, okay you the, the growth might be slower but you don't need more money. You still can grow further. I just put the business in the safe safe mode just to grow with our own money and to see when and that what conditions we can raise further.
0: Yeah, yeah. So right now you're looking to grow organically and grow sustainably with profits, right? Yes, for sure.
1: I mean, that's the yeah, game. We will probably never cash out that profits. We're investing. We're still investing yeah. about 50% of our money in R&D. But but I think it's not only for, for sustainability of the business in this turbulent time, but investors also looking for for that, for EBIT or something like that now. So I think it's just healthy change in the market at the end of the day.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to wish you all the best for the revenue growth that that lies ahead for you. Thank you. Uh, both individually as an or, and as an organization right? what do you think are your key strengths that allows you to grow faster in the future or to grow sustainably as we talked about in the future?
1: I just recently talked about an investor, and I like the phrase. Actually, that investor was one of the general managers of top-end funds in US, and I was curious why he, just talking to us so early, and I asked him why he's so bullish about the market we operate at. And he told me one one actually a phrase which sit very deeply in my mind now. So some companies might run slow until they run very fast. And this is actually the challenge always to explain to investors because they typically look on your historical data and to extrapolate that, but it's not how market work and not how business, especially deep tech business. I'm in a big tech, deep tech business. It's all about growing slowly, but investing, so investing in the technology, accumulating significant parts of the technology together, in them that well, theoretically is supposed to be the moment that they grow fast. And the majority of the companies either die on the way or lose the focus or lose the patient, And that brings me to the point that I really work hard to not to lose motivation. Okay. Neither myself nor the team. It's super hard, but important.
0: Yeah, yeah. so you're saying work, working very hard not to lose motivation, right? As you continue to reinvest and build that yes. technology, which might allow you to scale faster in the future.
1: Motivation means trust in the future. And it's it's not so easy to maintain the trust, yeah. especially over the multiple years.
0: Yeah. And how do you manage that? How do you manage that pressure or that stress that it's created?
1: By sharing with the team, I I'm a transparent person as a like in the private life, but then also try to be transparent in the business as well, meaning that so okay in the company we have the culture the management share with all team all financials. I mean, just employees know how much money we have in bank. What are projections? What are assumptions? What are scenarios? And how we perform? I don't hesitate to share good things. They say bad things. Or, but yeah, I mean, it's insane to hold the pressure only yourself. I know. Actually, I know that people like many people, especially specialists, like to to be isolated because then they feel safe. But when we come to the startups, the companies uh, in the early stage, by early stage, I mean, I think even till series B and C anyway, like startups. So startups, it's all about, about like tons of assumptions and risks, and you cannot isolate your employees from that you need to share. And mm-hmm. there are two types of employees. One one like part of employees appreciate that, and other fear, those who fear to apparently leave.
0: Yeah, and how have you experienced it, right? So sharing bad news or sharing very, with very transparency, how have you seen that has impacted, let's say the culture of the organization or like the mindset of the people? As I said, so it's really depends.
1: I have, I experienced then people are leaving. Mm-hmm. Like on autumn, then I was cutting expenses. Apparently I was firing those who perform less. And at some moment, well, at one moment, actually two key employees mm-hmm. just came to me and, uh, and resigned. And that just simply because uh, it was like... Th- not really scary atmosphere but they didn't see future anymore so i talked to them like out of those two one still left in the second state but there is but there's a negative thing but it's, it, i look at the cleaning it's normal so if person or employee cannot hold the pressure that what we can do unfortunately but oppositely, uh, some of employees, opposite, actually, if they hear there is a problem, they come up with the with this ideas, with the solution, and become more proactive. And I absolutely appreciate this type of employees.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think uh, transparency does that, right? It filters out the right kind of people, and then you have people who are more suited in an entrepreneurial setup. It's just
1: the uh, one of the. One of the small things in the culture, but it's a cornerstone. So if you implement that in the culture of the company, I think that does definitely change the company in one way, but it will pay back in the moments of crisis.
0: Yeah. Okay. And for, let's say for the next 12 months, what is the biggest item on your agenda? What is the biggest focus area for you?
1: so the biggest the biggest issue on an issue but the biggest challenge for us is to keep grow okay not keep but actually we have so much things to do mm. um, but we need to fund that with our own profits and this is a challenge so we you know like I remember that moment that I raised that last round then you don't think twice. Like you have money on the bank account and you don't think twice. Okay, just you cannot decide whom to fire this guy or that. Okay, so whom to hire this guy or that. Let's hire both, yeah? Or just make a lot yeah. of this kind of decisions. We cannot just understand where direction to go. Okay, let's just go both. Let's invest there. So have this, you have this money. When you don't have this money, you are more key on the decisions so you do that again you can do that wrong but still you do more precise decisions so you just you have you don't have money to cover your inability to make decisions let's say so
0: (laughs) yes absolutely i think what you're talking about is like focusing more because as an entrepreneur you will always have more ideas or directions to go into so now you have to focus and prioritize and maybe say no to more things than to say yes and then that decision is always tricky or always difficult yeah because that goes yes. against the notion of being an entrepreneur it is yes. no so it's
1: not against entrepreneur it's against being opportunist it's less opportunistic because yeah well there are entrepreneurs who are more opportunistic and less i really like opportunistic guys in sales so then they don't think twice but just go and sell to everyone and then our technical team just think oh man how we do that but it's yeah. it's already out of problem but
0: yeah so it's you cannot
1: be so much opportunistic anymore
0: yeah yeah and as you spoke about growth right is your growth also more sales driven and then uh, how do you how have you managed it are you leading those efforts yourself or do you have somebody in the key founding team or somebody leading those efforts.
1: Okay. A few years ago, actually the first revenue up to 10,000 of recurring current revenue, I did it myself. Mm-hmm. It's sales driven. So I was selling like myself. Then we went to 500 Startups exploration program and they helped us to transit from just founder selling to founder managing sales team. So I did for a while managing sales team, and now I don't do that anymore as well because I have head of sales who manage sales team way better than I did and also sell better than I did. I'm more on the product side now. and uh, So I said that it's sales driven, but in fact, it's not only. So it's always a combination of sales and, and product. So product enable. Sales and it, but it's not linear. It's like a stepwise, I guess. So product improvements is typically stepwise. Well, sales job is to bring you to the next step.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You spoke about like letting go of of sales or delegating sales. So can you share what did you learn from that accelerator or from your experience? Because I know that many entrepreneurs struggle with either like leading sales or delegating sales to somebody else.
1: I think that 500 Startups uh, acceleration program was excellent because it was an excellent moment and they particularly pick, they particularly chose teams at about like 8, 10, 20 thousand monthly current revenue just because that was the moment that founders Mm -hmm. should not sell himself anymore because it's not scalable. And there are, I think, well, there are two things, just first, founder should sell. If founder cannot sell, nobody can. I mean, even it's technical founder. So I'm a scientist myself, but I was selling. Nobody can sell if founder cannot. So founder should sell always in the beginning. And then uh, we wrote the playbook with 500 Startups. So actually sales playbook where I documented all processes. I mean, how I did everything. So sales people just came and took this playbook and there is no huge onboarding actually. If you make the good process, you make it a good playbook, they can go and execute. You just need to manage. Of course, sharing your best ideas and giving feedback and so on. But that's, I think, quite important transition point there is no and again there is no you cannot be lucky like okay so let's let i concentrate on technology and somebody will come and just do all sales for me or okay so now i'm not going to sell anymore so somebody will come and manage that sales team now it's just not going to work like this nobody will do that better than you but you just need to delegate and the key things of delegation is not just simply delegation it you need to give material playbook to mm-hmm. start with. so then then there is a heritage of the knowledge and experience in easy way. Do you not expect that somebody will come and just change everything to better? From day one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> thank you. thank you. I think the, there are two wonderful lessons, right? One is that as a founder, you have to sell, right you cannot avoid that. and you cannot just look at delegation as a way to escape that responsibility. And the second, what you mentioned, right, once you have to delegate, then create a process out of it, document everything so that people are not guessing or finding or making the same mistakes again. Uh, and that allows you to scale the team as well, but that allows them to actually grow faster, make less lesser mistakes, and also improve on that process over a period of time. So thank you oh, for sure. add, adding. Yeah, adding these two elements. This is wonderful. Yeah, and as we also begin to wrap it up, right? Can you share something else about yourself personally, which most people that you work with are not aware of?
1: Two years ago, I actually decided to exchange family car, and well, imagine two years ago, and we uh, and actually I have an idea. So maybe uh, we should go electric vehicle or hybrid. Like oh, everybody was more concerned at that time. And I started to think, I started to analyze, to compare, some different uh, calculate, actually gains, pros, cons. And in one moment, I just threw the, all this away and said, okay, where we'll be in five years with electric car? Let's go with electric car. <laughs> and that, I mean, just, and I really love that. That transition that I experienced myself, just from scientist to entrepreneur, because it just pay you back in in other aspects of your life. You make decision and you can do that visionary, and I love that. So that's just the one example. Yeah. So there are tons of other examples as well. But I really like, and actually the life is so much more beautiful than you start to think of going towards future. Not just surviving today.
0: Yes. Thank you for sharing that personal example. But I think that's a key difference between, let's say, from an engineering or scientific background to an entrepreneur's decision-making that you start taking decisions based on the future, not based on the past. And as you said, it can make life beautiful, but also simple in, in many ways. So thank you for adding that. So as we wrap this up, right? anybody who's listening who wants to reach out or find out more about what you're doing, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: LinkedIn. My first name, surname in LinkedIn. So feel free to to ping me in LinkedIn. I'm um, very happy to to make my network bigger every time.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Mihalyz. I will make sure that I add your LinkedIn profile to the show notes so that people can find that. And as we end, I want to wish you all the best for everything that you're doing and for your future visions and also for the challenges that will come ahead and that you have to face. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast, and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction not just for yourself but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future. Please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show And it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved, and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.